Let me tell you about my Power Up programme. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block programme. Just book a chin wag, let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. How do you feel when you're asked, who's your ideal client? What's your avatar look like? Oh, it makes me shudder sometimes because we all know the demographics of where they live, their job title, what car they drive, their inside leg measurement. But does it really matter? Is it a bit of a red herring? Well, join me and Ros Conkey today as we reverse engineer the real attributes and attitudes that our ideal clients show. We're going to be making conversations about engineering count. What's new, Wendy Wu? Well, it's with great pride that I can tell you I've been awarded a prize by Lloyd's Bank for Business. I've now been selected as one of the Small Business of 2021 winners. The MD of the Business Banking, Gareth Oakley, said my resilience and adaptability was inspiring and my determination makes them excited to see where I go next. Well, I'm working on it now, Gareth. So watch this space. We've had a new review in too from the LinkedIn guru. Gotta love the benefits of laughter yoga. Oh, last week it was my 50th birthday and to celebrate, I wanted to share not just a chuckle, but a full on belly laugh with you all. So this is what the LinkedIn guru had to say. I dare you to listen to this episode and not laugh. This is a perfect illustration that laughter is the best medicine. Highly recommended that you connect or follow Wendy Wu. That's me. If you want to make your conversations count. Happy birthday, Wendy. Namaste. Namaste back to the LinkedIn guru. Today, I have with me in the studio a lady who trains, coaches, consults and mentors for business growth. But not in the way that you probably think, because her strapline says, Engineering your marketing machine. It's Le- it's Ros Conkey. How on earth did you come up with that strap line with engineering and marketing? <laughs> I actually started my career as an engineer. So I went to university to uh, study engineering. I'll tell you in a minute how I got into marketing. But the way I do marketing now is the way I was taught how to do engineering. So I th- one of the reasons why people get really kind of tied in knots about marketing is because They think of marketing as this sort of creative, nebulous thing that, you know, is sort of immeasurable and kind of airy and this dark art. It can Um, be an invisible force, can't it? Uh, Non-quantifiable sometimes. Yeah, exactly. 
at the end of the day, it's about people making decisions. And the psychology is really difficult. It's complicated because we're complicated beings, aren't we, as human beings? But if you start thinking about marketing as being a machine that churns out long-term loyal customers, it becomes much easier to take control of it. And if you think, okay, well, if I was going to design a machine that churns out long-term loyal customers, how would I do that? And so that's the process that I take my clients through. It's a process. Yeah. That's the it's point. A design pro- it's a design and implementation process. Yeah. And, and for most people, for most business, small business owners, they don't have a process for their marketing. It can be a little bit, oh, I'll try this, or oh, so-and-so did really well with that, or oh, this might work, let's give that a go. Whereas if you have a process for choosing your marketing and measuring your marketing and prototyping it and implementing it, then you end up with marketing that actually works and delivers a return on your investment. So marketing becomes an investment and not a cost. And I see that you use this in your own marketing as well, is taking your marketing from a gamble to an investment, because it, sh- it really should be an investment in what it is that you're doing to ensure that you carry on doing a good job done right marketing and sales is like buying customers you should be able to pinpoint okay for every pound that i spend on marketing and sales i get this much back in profit <laughs> it should be more than a pound and what i loved about what you just said there ross is that you said marketing and sales myself and a previous guest vicky neil carroll I mean, vicky always say marketing comes first but people say it's sales and marketing because it rolls off the tongue but the marketing really does need to come first, but it needs to work with sales. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll am i be honest, I'm not precious about the like what exactly is marketing and what exactly is sales. And, oh, well, if I run this email campaign and I have this automated, is that marketing or is that sales? I'm not precious about exactly what's marketing, what's sales. My definition of marketing is simply making it really easy for people to buy. From you. So, yeah making it really easy for people to make the right decision for them, which actually isn't always buying from you. So because marketing also includes filtering off people who are actually the wrong kind of clients. And we forget and, that, don't yeah, we? We think about marketing as being attracting everybody. Anyone oh, who could- Ideal them. client, who's your avatar? <sighs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're much more specific about the kind of clients that you want to attract to your business- then you end up attracting all the right kind of clients. And those are the profitable ones. Yes. Client avatar is is kind of a bit of a pet bugbear for me when it comes to marketing because, oh, you know, it, it takes a lot of brain energy to really try and break that down. And for me, I've had to have some help because I, I needed somebody to ask me the right questions because it was so difficult. But what you've just said in terms of the disqualification Maybe that's where you start. Who do you not want to work with? Because in actual fact, if it's, the, if it's a pie and it's slices of pie and you don't want them and you don't, you'll see what's left. Yeah, absolutely. So you're reverse engineering it. See what I did there? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I heard this on one of your previous podcasts, which was about fishing with a spear. I can't remember who said it. Oh, hey. was it you? I think it was me. <laughs> <laughs> one of your guests or if it was you and when you said it I thought yeah that's exactly it it's about fishing with a spear it's about you know being specific about the kind of customers who are going to energize your business and also being honest about the kind of customers who just you know they're not going to get loads of value from what you offer they're not going to get value for money they're not so people who 
can't afford what you offer, people who aren't going to get that much value from it, people who aren't going to be that profitable, people who are going to take up tons of your time and energy, those customers are, are better off not choosing you for the sake of them as well as for their business. You know, I mean, I went into business because I want to help people. I don't want people to buy from me if they're not going to get value from it because they're not going to be loyal customers. They're not going to come back again, are they? And they're not going to yeah. tell, rave to their friends about me. So I'd rather they didn't waste their money. So my marketing and my the way I teach my clients how to do marketing is all about attracting the people who are going to get tons of value from what you offer. And that's why it's all about being very specific about your avatar or persona or whatever you want to call it. Would you agree as well, though, Ros, that picking your own avatar is a tricky business when it's your business because you're so close to it? Oh, yeah. And that's why I coach my clients through. The mistake that a lot of people make with defining an avatar is they start with demographic. So they start with, oh, OK, they're, you know, 35 years old, male, their job's this, they live here, they're, they're, you know, they read these books, all sort of kind of demographic information, which is actually a lot of it is a bit of a red herring. I always start with attitudes and values and what's important to them and questions they ask and, you know, reasons why they might be cautious buying from you, so concerns they might have buying from you. All of those things are much more important when it comes to defining an avatar, because that really speaks to the kind of content you want to put out. Because if you know the kind of questions they're going to ask, or you know the concerns that they might have, or, you know, when they're looking at your business and they don't know whether you're any good and they're thinking, okay, well, what's the worst that could happen? Well, actually, you know, these, you know, bad things could happen. Those are valid concerns. And so your marketing needs to honor those and address them and overcome them. What that boils down to me is that's like, finding your tribe or setting your culture isn't it yes yeah absolutely which leads quite nicely into that the people buy from people like them yeah yeah exactly and actually the client I was working with this morning they're a business you know they sell to businesses and when I first said to them okay well you know who's your ideal customer and they described the business and I said, okay, but who's the individual in that business? Because whether you're B2, and I disagree with quite a lot of marketers here, but who'd say that, oh, B2B is completely different to B2C. Um, H to H, human to human. Making decisions. And marketing is just about supporting people in their decision-making process. There are differences because often in B2B, there are more people involved Often in B2B, there's a longer buyer, I call it a buyer journey, which is how do people go from never having heard of you before to being a raving fan? Touches, yes. What does that journey look like? And let's map it out so we can support people. Often in B2B, people have a longer buyer journey, but that's not always the case. You know. um, It depends on the product and service and solution. It can depend on the cost around implementing that whether it's a a quick win or a a big investment the odds all stack up don't they against it being a longer a process than just somebody who works for themselves on their own and I think most people make their decision anyway quite quickly but will sometimes play the game of well can do yeah it's all about risk really If there's a lot of risk involved, whether that's because it's a lot of money or there are a lot of people involved or, you know, that what's the worst that could happen question is really big. Like, well, I could get fired for making the wrong decision or, you know, I could damage my reputation or I could, 
you know, really annoying my spouse or, you know, when that risk is very high, people will naturally slow themselves down. So your marketing needs to reduce the perceived risk at every stage of their buying decision. So the next step in the decision is feels low risk. And you have to build up trust as well in that process so that they, they trust you. And the next step feels low risk. So they'll naturally move forward and say, oh, yes, OK, I will. I will watch that video. And oh, at the end of the video, yes, actually, I will. The next step is just downloading something. So actually, I will put my email address to download that article, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and so on. And all of that really does centre around the conversations that we have with each other, whether that be, you know, face to face, over the phone, online, on Zoom, on our social media platforms. How do you find conversation influencing what you do in your business, Roz? In marketing in general is is all about conversations. Yeah. You know, it's all about building relationships. So that buyer journey that I just mentioned, that's all about a customer building a relationship with a business to a point where they feel ready to, you know, spend the money on the product or service. And as part of that relationship, there will inevitably be conversations. And some of them might not be like talking, you know, person to person talking, but, you know, chats on social media or receiving value from an article or watching a video. And, you know, watching a video is very much like having a conversation. What sort of clientele do you work with? Do you lean into your engineering background or do you go into all sorts of businesses? It's funny, actually, uh, when I first started working, doing what I'm doing, I I expected that I would mostly end up working with engineers because I do speak the language. And I, I, you know, I understand the industry and I do work with quite a few engineers and software, you know, technical kind of companies. But I have quite a, a lot of clients who are not engineers, you know, they're completely polar opposite to engineers. And actually, one of the things that a lot of my clients really value about the way that they work, way that I work is that I bring the structure. So I have quite a few clients who are very creative. I work with a couple of holistic therapists and like coaches who are extremely creative in what they do and they recognize that they need structure in their business and they can't bring that structure so yeah Yeah, they need someone else in their business to bring the structure and that's what I bring it's that yin and yang kind of um... yeah Yeah, very much yeah (laughs) I don't know if I'm the yin or the yang (laughs) well it's like our conversation before we came on isn't it about left and right brain and your hearing and things like that but It's always intrigued me how you can go from one path, like in engineering, and then end up in marketing. So how did that transition come about? Well, so this is my conversation. Let me tell you about my Power Up programme. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block programme. Just book a chin wag, let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. tell you about it now yes oh that's that's <laughs> ideal then isn't it I'm I'm a mind reader 
Well, so I graduated with my mechanical engineering degree and I started working at a small robotics company in Bristol. Very small. I was employee number five and I was working directly for the managing director. And he said to me, do you know, Ros, I think you'd be good in marketing and sales. And I didn't say this at the time because he was my new boss. But inside I was thinking, oh, no, I don't want to do marketing and sales. It's all fluff and nonsense. I don't want to do that. But as I started working in marketing, I realized that, well, bad marketing is fluff. I mean, we've all seen it. But good marketing is actually very structured and methodical. It's based on analysis and research. It's carefully planned and designed and project managed and tested and measured and iteratively improved. It's efficient and it's effective. And all of a sudden, it starts to sound like engineering. So my career's now come full circle. And this is what I mean when I say that my the way I work now is the way that I was taught how to do engineering. So I was taught how to, you know, when you're designing a new machine or a, you know, a product or something, you start with a specification. You, so if you're going to design a marketing machine, you start with a specification. What does your marketing machine needs to need to deliver? Well, it needs to churn out long-term loyal customers. So who specifically are those long-term loyal customers? And that's why we start with an ideal customer and a proposition. You know, what are we actually offering and how are they going to buy from us? What's that buyer journey? And then brainstorm how we can support customers better, how we can meet that, you know, how we can build that marketing machine and prioritize. So I have a very structured process for, first of all, identifying quick wins and then looking at how to prioritize your marketing so that you're not overwhelmed by this massive wish list of all all the things I could do if I had, you know, unlimited time and money, because that's the overwhelming thing in a small business is where do I start? So we prioritize using a, a methodical method that you can just, you can trust and then build up momentum, you know, prototype, start small, test it, measure, improve regularly, keep testing and measuring and improving and then scale up in that way. That's how you design a, a machine. Is how you design it. Is how if you design your marketing like that, it will always work. So that's kind of what you're doing now. That's the transition from engineering to marketing. You said it was your conversation, but you kind of just said, "Oh, my boss said." Oh. So how did that conversation actually go? Because you've kind of just gone, "Oh no, really?" <laughs> well, he spotted in me something that I didn't see, which was. I'm really good at marketing. <laughs> and, I, and he also understood what I didn't understand, which was what good marketing is really all about. I thought that marketing was just this, you know, creative fluff, putting logos on stuff and, you know, making websites that do flashy things and that there was no real skill or process to it. And as an engineer, I was, you know, I wanted things that I could measure and build but yeah, he just saw something in me that I didn't see. And, and I'm really grateful that he did, because if he hadn't encouraged me to pursue this route, then I'd probably still be working in engineering. And I'm much better at marketing than I am than I was at engineering. <laughs> well, the jury's out on that, I think, Ros, if you had only just joined as a very young engineer. Uh, yeah, I, I'm much better at marketing than I ever would have been at engineering. I'm a bit too optimistic to be a good engineer. A good engineer should be pessimistic because you want someone who's going to spot the problems. Oh, well, this could go wrong like this. You don't want an engineer who's going to go, oh, no, I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) So what advice would you give to anybody that had a boss that says, 
well, you're doing this, but I think you'd be better off at that. Would you say, listen, explore it? Yeah, I would. I mean, it depends on the boss, of course, because I was very lucky that I had a very astute. Yeah, he was he was really, you know, he knew what he was doing. He I trusted him as well. And and he was a very good judge of character. You know, you've always got to weigh up people's agendas. You know, he needed someone in his business who could understand how our robots worked and who could communicate it to our customers in a way that they cared about. Because our customers didn't care how our robots worked. They just wanted to know, can it get into this impossible space and solve the problem that I've got? And they needed someone who understood the technical side of our robotics and could answer our customers' questions and explain it in a way that they cared about. I think it's always a judgment call about listening to other people's advice. And this is something I've learned as I've grown older is when to take on board people's advice and follow it and when to say, yeah, that's really good for you. I can see why you're doing that, but that's not going to work for me. And I think that's something that is, well, it's for me, it's taken maturity to get to the point where I'm now much better at making those calls. I think think a big part of it was just luck, actually. I think I was just lucky. Personally, I would say that your boss was quite astute and I may upset a few people, I don't know, but you can be a great marketeer, but if you don't understand your product or service, how can you truly market it? So he saw that you knew how to kind of not simplify it or dumb it down, but be able to convey the storytelling side that marketing needs because you believe that that is going to be the only way to solve that problem. So then people buying it believe that too. And I think that's an important part for marketing anyway. So I would say if you're going into marketing and marketing is something that you're considering, make sure you pick something that you love doing because it'll come through in the results that you have as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And it's true of sales as well. You know, it's very difficult, I think, to sell. I mean, there are people who can do it very well, but I think it's very difficult to sell something that you don't really understand or care about. And actually, you're probably right. I expect my boss saw that I was really passionate about the robots that we did. I was really passionate about the work that we did. And I really believed in it. And I could communicate that. And I think he saw that... I was able to bring that passion and enthusiasm across and engage our customers in that way. And like I said, and I, I didn't see that in myself. So it's not a career that I would have chosen or pursued without that nudge from him. And so, yeah, I'm really grateful that I had that because otherwise I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Is that making conversations about engineering count? Absolutely. (laughs) What a great boss. I think that's a wonderful story. And I think there's a lot of people that will listen and go, do you know what? I think that's good advice and sound experience. And it does come with experience, doesn't it? Because hindsight is a a wonderful thing. It was years later that I started to realise that the marketing that I was doing was following the same process. I never really planned that it was one of those sort of slow realize dawning realizations that this is what I was taught in my degree (laughs) this is actually very similar to how I was taught to design machines and robots you know and it was 
it was this sort of dawning realization that actually really good strategic marketing followed the same, pretty much the same design process. And actually, you know, creating a new product for a business whether or a new service, you it, done right, if you do it well, you'll probably follow the same process of a design process, which is start with specification and so on. And it, like I said at the beginning, the thing that people get really confused about with marketing is be- because it's very intangible in lots of ways, like you said, it can make it very difficult to understand. Whereas if you think of your marketing as being a machine with many, many cogs, and you know, you've got your, your sort of all of the cogs that are associated with your, your social media activity, and there's lots of cogs in there, you know, your headlines and your content and your how often you schedule and all those little cogs. And then you've got your website, and there's lots of little cogs in there, and there's, you know, advertising, there's lots of cogs in there. And if you think about it in terms of, you know, all of the different elements that are all trying to work together, and some of those cogs are working really well, but Quite, some of them maybe need some extra oil or, you know, out of alignment or, they, you know, they're just not working. And those are the ones that you need to tweak and improve. And w- when people get overwhelmed by their marketing, they look at the whole marketing and they, oh, the whole thing's not working. But actually, it's, it, that's a bit like saying, OK, well, I'm going to design a car and then I put the key in the ignition and I turn the key, but nothing happens. OK, well, that didn't work. I'll scrap that and I'll design a new car. <laughs> And that's a lot. That's what people do in their marketing when they say, "Oh, yeah, I tried social media, that didn't work, and I tried advertising, that didn't work. I tried PR, that didn't work." And they're saying, you know, "Oh, car doesn't work. Scrap it. Design a new car." Whereas actually, it could just be like, I don't know, the starter motor is not not plumbed in right. I hear what you're saying because this is kind of like the same on the sales front of things is that people say, oh, I'll send emails. I'll just put some social media out. What? You want me to pick up the phone? Why would I want to do that? I'll send them an email. Email? I'm going to email them. Did you hear back from them? No. Would you give them a call? No, I've just dropped them another email. There are lots of different tools that you can use for the same results, but it really does work better when you can use them all together. I'm an engineer. I believe in the right tool for the job. You could name any marketing activity you like, and I could probably give you an example of it being done really, really well, and another example of it being done really, really badly. Because it's all about how you use those tools and how you, and not just the whole tool, because it's not just one thing, just, you know, like set, making sales calls. It's not one thing. There are so many little things that can be done well or things that can be done badly, like the opener or the, you know, there's the structure of the call. There's, there's so many elements. Expectation. To it. Yeah. There's, That's there's the so, biggest one. <laughs> there's so many different elements and so yeah. many ways that something might or reasons why something might work and might not work so if you think of it as one one thing that either works or doesn't work you're missing out on loads of opportunities to improve your marketing the difference between giving it a try to see what happens and the difference between not doing it because it might do something that's the the biggest frustration i think for many business owners isn't it yeah. we all want to be doing better and how can we do better yeah, and marketing is one of those things that it's really easy to waste lots of money on it. And that's terrifying for a small business owner. Yeah. You know, and really frustrating. I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> and, I, and I know that there's probably lots of people now going, oh, absolutely right. Yeah, I've wasted money on marketing that didn't work. And if you're not measuring it, you can end up still waste, you know, continuing to waste money on marketing doesn't work because you don't realise it's not working. You just keep drying it thinking, well, maybe... 
maybe if we keep, let's try it another month and or another couple of months and see if it peak, perks up. But you know, it's unless you start, unless you can measure which bit of it isn't working, why it's unless you can identify why it's not working, it's not really going to change, is it? You're just going to end up throwing away money that's not working. Mm. Whereas if you can measure effectively, so I take quite a big focus on measurement. If you can measure your marketing effectively, you can identify where it's not working and where the problem is, why it's not working. And then you can either improve that or you can look at it objectively and go, you know, this this is never going to deliver value for money. So there's no point in us even continuing with it. So let's cut our losses quickly. So you can make much more confident, quicker decisions. So if you are spending money on marketing activity that's not working, you can identify much quicker, this is never going to deliver a return on our investment and cut your losses. Or you can look at the gap between, well, we need to increase our conversion rate by this much to make it work. So um, it's interesting that we we sometimes forget the numbers. I talk about this at the very beginning of, of the book that I wrote, which is unless you know your numbers, it really doesn't matter how many conversations you have yes. because you've got to have something to hang your hat on. You've got to have some kind of target. And I did this earlier today in a call with somebody who, you know, was like, I don't know whether I should work with you and pick up the phone or not. And I just said, well, you know, what are you working on now? And they said, we've got a database, basically got a directory of 1500 people doing this specific task for a job. That's who we want to market to. And I kind of said, well, if you could get 5% of that market, what would that be worth to you? And his eyes lit up. <laughs> so for every hundred, if you could yeah. get five, yeah, what's that worth? It might feel you? like it's not working because you're making a hundred calls and only getting five. For every twenty calls, you only get one. But still, you know, that's still converting to a, a huge amount in sales. It's kind of like, well, know your numbers because then you you'll know how much activity and how quickly you can scale that too. I'm not a big one for KPIs. I know that they're a driver in business, but it's like, let's simplify it because then it doesn't become such an onerous task because you can get distracted with some of the detail. The devil is in the detail, but you need to kind of know it. And I think this is kind of where some people believe in rather than know it. So, you know, you can just get on and have conversations and to grow and then at the end of the month look back and go oh my goodness look at all that I've just done yeah KPIs are one of those I mean they can be a huge rabbit hole of distraction and a waste of time and they can be a little bit sort of vanity you know ego stroking but if you choose KPIs which are meaningful in terms of your buyer journey so the KPIs that actually tell you how people are progressing along the buyer journey, how effectively your marketing is helping supporting them through that buyer journey, then they can give you, yeah, they can give you really valuable data on where your marketing is working well. And so where you can invest more in it quite confidently, where actually it's not working, you need to work, you need to fix it. Yeah. And it, and I'm one of those that says, you know, it cannot just be better. Let's just do better. Because yeah. nothing is ever perfect. No, no, marketing's never perfect. I say the same. Marketing's never perfect. I work in 90-day plans with most of my clients. And the approach that I take is actually based on lean, which is an engineering philosophy, which is all about... Yes, yeah. Yeah. And it's all about, let's get a, 
a minimum viable strategy in place. We'll make a marketing plan based on that and we'll test and measure to make sure that we can then improve our strategy in the next quarter. And we'll come back to the strategy and review it and improve it and then improve again. My marketing's not perfect. Gosh. I just put my hands over my face when you mentioned 90 day plan because Neil, the podcast producer, talks to me about the 90 day plan all the time. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a 90 day plan of, of sorts. But if there's a really good, this is a really good idea, don't be scared to implement it straight away if you can, but don't let it take you away from what the overall plan is. That's, yeah. I think that's the, the trick, isn't it? Is it, you know, you can. A good distraction is something that you can kind of shoehorn in. A bad plan is when that takes you away from what it is that you should be doing. And that's why it's so important to have a strategy. Because if you know what your strategy is, you know exactly who your ideal customer is and what you're offering and why they're buying from you and how they're buying from you, then when an opportunity comes up, you can go, actually, yeah, that'll fit into my buyer journey here. It'll be quick to implement. I can implement that this week. And I can see exactly how it's going to improve my sales. It's not a distraction because it's in line with my strategy. But without that work up front, without the strategy and the plan, it means that you're just a little bit of a slave to other people's pitches. You know, an agency will call you up and say, oh, you've got this great opportunity. And it's very difficult to make the decision of, okay, well, well is it a good opportunity or is it a distraction? Mm-hmm. Without a strategy, you can't make those decisions confidently. Yeah, no, I think that's a a very good point. And on that note, I would say that go sort your strategies out, sit and think about what it is that you want to achieve in 90 days. And if you need help fixing any of those cogs, get in touch with Ros. Where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, well, I'll put a link um, alongside this podcast. You can also go to my website, which is rosconkey.com. And actually, the best place to start is with my Kickstart Your Marketing workshop. And in that workshop, it's some videos and workbooks which take you through creating a minimum viable strategy, you know, a strategy that is good enough to get you moving, to get you starting taking action and create a one page plan that you can just start executing straight away. And it doesn't take long. You know, people can do it in half a day or a day. And then and it gets you from that place of being stuck and, oh, where do I need to, what do I, what should I do to improve my marketing to actually taking action and, and improving? Fantastic. Well, we will make sure that we share all of those links for the listeners in the show notes and it will go onto the website as well. What are your thoughts now about your ideal client avatar? Do let me know. We love to carry on the conversation. You can email the show admin at makingconversationscount.com or follow us on all the socials. Details are in the show notes. Until next time, where we have my worst podcast episode ever. No, only joking. We have Andrew Stotts of My Worst Investment Ever. When you incentivize people, you have to understand that there's a cost. Looking forward to that one. 